This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. The assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. And we got merch. That's right. We've got merchandise. So please go check out our website designed by Eleanor Carez, who is at Eleanor Carez on Instagram. Our website is www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Once again, that's cleareyesfullheartspod.com. We still want to answer your fan questions. So email us what you want to know at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com today. Season three, episode six, It Ain't Easy Being J.D. McCoy, written by Bridget Carpenter and directed by Patrick R. Norris. The synopsis from NBC says, new quarterback J.D. becomes a victim of freshman hazing, but begins to win the respect of the town and his team when he wins his first game. We have an awesome guest with us today, FNL stunt coordinator, Justin Reed. But before we chat with Justin, we're going to discuss this episode's highlights. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. First thing that pops up, it's Preston Flagg. I forget yeah. the name of the character that he plays. I can't remember his character's name remember. either, but yeah, Preston is a good friend of everyone on the podcast. Really good friends with Jesse Plemons and was yeah, always around. Yeah, they lived together with, for a long time. Yeah, that's right. Lived together with Jesse Plemons for years and years and years and just a, a really good dude. But he's the guy who's basically hazing. He gets real bad at the party too with JD. Yes, but he's the guy who's hazing JD at the start of the episode. He has a very fun drunk history episode if you ever feel like looking it up. It's hysterical. So Stacy, do you ever have to run a naked mile in your life? No, but do you know what we did do? You know, from Dazed and Confused, we did mm-hmm. have to go through a car wash in the back of a pickup. It's painful. Yeah, I would imagine that doesn't feel good. I've never had to do that. I was in a fraternity in college, and while we didn't have to run a naked mile, there was a lot of hazing. But that was mostly like sleep deprivation, people screaming in your face, and push-ups. Lots Ugh. and lots and lots of push-ups. Tell us the things you can't tell us. Stacy, Pi Cap Alpha was a non-hazing fraternity. We used to have to say Pi Cap Alpha is a non-hazing fraternity, sir. Great, great, great. I've tried for so long to figure out their secret handshake. It's been, what, 16 years now, and I still, Derek, won't, he won't give it up. I want to know the handshake. I'll give it to you now. Oh, I'm going to have, no, nah, I won't give you the Pi Cap Alpha handshake. Meanwhile, oh, Stacy, <gasps> Derek. 
So Erin, Street's baby mama, is moving back east to be closer to her family. I mean, watching this scene was tough to watch because it's going to put a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on Street to get this house flipped. And unfortunately, he's trying to flip this house with three of the biggest idiots in Dillon, Texas. <laughs> the clown car of idiots, as Buddy yes. calls you. It's very sweet. Jason with the baby. Scott Porter's just very good with babies, too. You can sort of just tell when somebody's like that. I feel a lot bad about this. I don't buy that Street and Aaron love each other. I think they love the baby. She definitely isn't feeling those feelings because he literally says, I love you as she's driving mm. off and she doesn't even respond. It's a one night stand. It's kind of weird. I don't know why Street is feeling that way. And maybe he, he wants it, I think. I think he's ready yeah. to settle down. And maybe he's convinced himself that he's in love with her. I, I don't know. I don't know. You love that baby, though. That's a cute baby. Maybe the cutest. Oh, no. Our babies are pretty damn cute. Season five. Not yeah. very cute. Yeah. Billy Riggins does ask while you guys are working, why do we, meaning you and your brother, have to do the upstairs? As we said before, clown car of idiots and Billy is the, the driver. <laughs> clown oh, car. Uh, yeah, Billy's a dummy. It's up there in some of the worst that Billy's done. I think Billy's that stupid that he doesn't realize <laughs> what he said until after the fact. At least that's how I played it. Why do we no, have to I do guess. I don't think he's being mean. <laughs> I think I had forgotten about Crucifictorious and I missed them. <gasps> how could you forget about Crucifictorious? Because there was a murder and like things happening. <laughs> There's some new members to the band here. That's Caleb Landry Jones on the sticks, on the drums. He's playing Jimmy. Caleb, for those of you who don't know, has had a pretty impressive career post Friday Night Lights. I mean, this was a tiny little part on FNL, but he went on to star in such films as X-Men First Class, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, The Florida Project, and of course, Get Out, which mm -hmm. plays the uh, older brother who's a, a real jerk. He's from Garland, Texas, right by me. I did not know that. I think I heard Tyra Wright when she said applications for college cost $150 a piece. I think that's what she said to Cash. I meant to go back and check. I think she said applications are $150 a pop. Yeah. That is incredibly not true. <laughs> it especially wasn't true back then. Right now, the standard, like the average application is about $45. The most expensive is Stanford and it's only 90. But also if you're applying to a state school in the state that you live in, it's basically zero. So I was confused. Maybe Ty was just trying to get some cash out of cash. Maybe I don't she's know. trying to get cash out of cash. Maybe she's just being a little hyperbolic. I don't know. And $150 a pop. She did get some cash. She did get some cash out of cash, though. I am enjoying this little tour of Dylan. Yeah. Even through the eyes of Riggins, but Jake's being in the car and seeing the town. I actually really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was really cool. We've talked about a million times how Texas plays such a huge part. I always love when they pull the camera back a little bit and we get to see a little bit more of the town of Dillon. Just kind of makes it a, a more realistic place. It makes it feel real. I mean, Kitsch was improv some stuff there. That he goes by the name Toby, two-time Iraq War veteran. Yeah, like that's what's on his ID. <laughs> Which made me chuckle for multiple reasons, just because it's a funny line. But also, I know Kitsch is throwing a reference out there to Toby Hemingway, one of his good buddies. Man, I'll tell you, this whole scene, while it, it's funny, it also makes me feel for JD. And one thing that I think that Jeremy Sumter does just a really wonderful job of is just kind of playing this wide-eyed kid who's just never seen anything. He has anything. those doe eyes. He's never experienced. Yeah, he's got those doe eyes. He hasn't seen a bar. Not that those are things that he should be. You got to have some exposure. I'm not saying the kid needs to be going to keg parties, but there needs to be some exposure to life. Yeah, and just also how to be social with other kids, which he doesn't seem to know how to do either. Yeah. Doesn't have time for that. Also got a little underhanded slap from Riggins there as he says, that's where my soon-to-be sister-in-law works now and probably forever. Oh, uh, when they're driving by the landing strip. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Thanks a I lot. thought that was funny. It's 
funny. And then we go to my incredibly tasteful butt crack. <laughs> As you're trying on wedding dresses. Yes. Isn't that what Angela says? It's a tasteful butt crack. Tyre says, Manila, I can see your butt crack. And my mom says it's tasteful. I actually, the week before this, got to go wedding dress shopping with the costume department. And it was very fun. But we did it in the eyes of Mindy. So we were looking for something not very attractive. Yeah. And I was going to say, and that's the dress you picked? In there is when they got the idea, what else would Mindy want to do? And we came up with the butterfly wings. Did you actually find the butterfly wings or did they build the butterfly wings? Oh, they built the butterfly wings for that dress. But also they cut into the butt crack for that dress. We were just trying to Mindy-fy it. Where does one go to find a Mindy-style wedding dress? Where did you guys go? Like thrift shops? No, we went to a real wedding store that was right off the highway. It's where we shot, actually. It's where we shot that scene. You found the dress and then they did some alterations to it to make it a little more mini. Oh yeah, they changed it a lot. Gotcha, they gotcha, cut gotcha. the whole back out and then added the wings and... Oh, the wedding photos. I still have some of those in my white tuxedo and they are just, they're something. <laughs> there is a moment. So we're at the grocery store. Grandma, of course, pulls Coach Taylor away because she thinks he is terribly misguided in what he is doing with his quarterbacks. Matt and Julie are left alone talking. Yeah, There's just a really quick shot of just their shoes. And they're like teenage shuffling around and like Amy's sort of stepping on her own foot with one. You wouldn't see that on any other show. Nah, it's a really beautiful moment. And that's one of the things we've talked about on Friday Night Lights. There were always three cameras rolling. In any given scene, there was an A camera operator, a B camera operator, and a C camera operator. So if it was a scene with Stacy and I, there would be an A camera on Stacy, a B camera on me. And then the C camera would just be searching, looking around for something interesting to shoot. Actually, as I'm speaking right now, I'm twirling the microphone cord as I'm talking. And maybe that's what the C camera operator would find is he's yeah. twirling this microphone cord. Or in this particular moment, they found their feet shuffling. And it really is. It's a beautiful little moment. Great pickup on your end, Stacey, and a great pickup by our C camera so operator. Cute. And good job on our editors for keeping it in because it's just such a yeah. great moment. That's and great. I love that about Friday Night Lights. I love that there was the freedom for our camera operators to find those kind of moments. So they felt artistic when they were shooting this. You know, It wasn't just yeah. a point and shoot show. You were actually trying to create and bring your own artistry to it. And I think that's why the show works on so many different levels. Every department had something that they were bringing to it artistically. I knew it was coming the minute you picked up a nail gun. (laughs) When I see people get hurt, I sort of don't even know how to explain it. My stomach and my legs kind of go numb and then I start to feel sick and you did it. So congratulations. Yeah. Billy is in an argument with street and he goes to post streets. He's got your list. It's like a to-do list, basically. And Billy Mm. goes to post it on the wall and puts a nail through his hand using a nail gun. Real sharp, Billy. That was a fun (laughs) scene to shoot, though. (laughs) (laughs) So we we did what's called a cowboy swap on that, where you take the nail gun. That nail gun wasn't operable. It couldn't shoot. And I went and made the reaction. Then they pulled the nail gun back, put a little dot of blood there, put the nail gun back, and then pull away and Looks like I shot myself in the... Where was the nail, though? I think they just drew it on. There wasn't an actual nail. But how come your hand wasn't nailed to the wall? Because it didn't go all the way through to the wall. <laughs> Logistically, let's talk about this. Did you go to the hospital after? No. 
Do you think Billy did? No, I think Billy pulled it out with some pliers and put a Band-Aid on it, probably. <laughs> yeah. Probably did not clean it, didn't put any hydrogen peroxide on it. It's probably... Oh, God, no. No, you have, what is it, tetanus? You yeah, have, tetanus. You definitely have that. And probably rabies. Anytime I do an interview and if someone asks me, where do you think Billy is now? I'm like, he probably died mm-hmm. of tetanus yeah. from the nail that he shot into his hand on yeah. season three. He's lost most of his mental faculty from tetanus. Yes. We're learning Cash is maybe a dad. Yeah, it appears so. I mean, it looks pretty shady. Yeah. Seems like two kids. I heard two kids' names. Well, I think one of them was the mother. Oh, the mother and the kid. And the other one is the child. I think that's what was going on. But yeah, I mean, this woman shows up at the Colette residence wanting to know where Cash is. She's holding a baby and claims that Cash owes her child support. It doesn't look good. Like it got my spidey senses up. And then we go back to Crucifictorious and we meet Devin. Stephanie Hunt is finally here with us. Yeah, I love Stephanie Hunt. One of the things that made me laugh in the scene, Landry hears her sing and she's got an amazing voice. And Landry just immediately goes, "Uh, yeah, I I think... uh, I think we're all set on vocals. I mean, pretty much because he obviously wants to be the lead singer, Crucifictorious. And I'll tell you, man, Stephanie is so dang cute. I don't know what it is, but there's just something about her. She just steals the scene. She's got that great smile. I'll tell you, just in real life, some of my favorite nights in my early days in Los Angeles, we'd have 20 something people back over at my apartment and we'd be sitting there watching Stephanie and Jesse jam together. Yeah, Stephanie would show up with her fiddle and Jesse had mm-hmm. his guitar and it was just We'd have like an impromptu jam session in my place. A hoot nanny. Yeah. I mean, the usual suspects would include you and me and Jesse and Guy Rast and Joey Oglesby, a Stephanie mm-hmm. Hunt, Caleb, Landry Jones, who is the drummer from Crucifictorious, Glenn Reed, who is Steve Walters. And it was just an eclectic assortment of FNL people, Preston Flagg would be there who we yep. talked about earlier. They all met on this show, all different ages and all different backgrounds. And it was just, uh, it was really fun. And I miss those times. I remember there was one time one of my neighbors came by. He's a musician. He heard us playing and I thought he was going to come by to complain. And he was like, hey, I've got my guitar. Do you mind if I... So he came over. I know that these things happen in other parts of the country. But to be around that many talented people, it's one of those things that I love about LA. Just this massive amount of artistry and so many talented people. And you get to have moments like that. Sometimes. Sometimes. Now I'm an old fart and on a Friday night, I'm sitting there watching a movie and rubbing my dog's belly. I've decided after the scene, I need a coach Taylor in my life. Somebody that when like things get hard and life gets you down and everything seems like it's not going to work out, he like magically just shows up and he gives you this inside a locker room pep talk just wherever you are. And he's right. Yeah. And like life seems a little bit more manageable. I would like a coach Taylor. I'll be your coach, Taylor. God, no. What do you want to talk about, Stacey? Oh, God. That's terrifying. <laughs> On to Cash's storyline here with the girl and the kid. Do you believe him, Stacey? I very honestly don't know what happens with this. Zach Rorg is so good that I believe Zach, but I don't believe Cash. Does that make sense? Yes. It's one of those things, I think, as an actor, when you've got to play a scene where your character could potentially be lying, mm. you have a decision to make at that point in time. As an actor, how good a liar is he? So we don't know. I mean, I think the only person who knows the answer to this in reality, even the writers probably don't know the answer, is Cash. And by that, I mean Zach Rorick. So Zach made a decision as an actor that either he's A, telling the truth, and he really didn't knock this woman up, or B, I'm lying. I don't know, honestly, if he is or isn't, but I will say this. He's kind of a shady dude. We're going to find that out later. And I'm going to judge him by his friends. And his friends are Billy Riggins. 
in, what was it, Cowboy Candy? Yeah, he pops Cowboy Candy. Billy Reagan's in Cowboy Candy. So we know he's got a little bit of a drug addiction. I also don't ever love the story of, oh, that's my ex, she's crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, is she? Oh, all it's weird that all your exes are crazy and there's no yes. common denominator there. That's yes. weird. We'll see. Stacey, you know what? All my exes are crazy. Weird that there's a common denominator there, me uh, and you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm crazy. I'm the crazy one. Okay. Julie and Matt, they finally kissed. Yes. I've been waiting for these two to get back together. Dylan feels like a better place when Julie and Matt are together. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. There's a tiny bit of hope there, but I guts to tell you, Julie comes home wearing Matt's hoodie. There's a look. That I don't know if guys do this, but that girls give themselves in the mirror and it's a look that they had right after they had sex for the first time. And they look at the mirror and say, do I look different? And that to me was the look Julie gave herself in the mirror. I agree with you. I can't remember, honestly, if this was the moment they had sex. I can't remember, but it seems like it, especially like the next day they're in church and they like make eye contact with each other. Yeah, the side eye at church. Yeah, I mean, well played by Amy Teagarden. But yeah, I love having these two back together. And as you said, Stacy, it gives you hope. And Stacy, I want to give you hope as your coach Taylor, your personal coach Taylor. All right, I think Stacy is done with me trying to give her hope. And I think, guys, we might be moving on. To the interview portion of our show, as I said before, we've got Justin Reamer with us. So stick around, guys. It's going to be an exciting interview. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody. We are pumped to have FNL stunt coordinator Justin Reamer on the show with us today. Reamer has worked as a stunt performer in some of your favorite TV shows and films, including The Replacements, Not Another Teen Movie, 24, Charmed, Angel, Van Helsing, Spider-Man 2, FNL The Movie, CSI New York, Jack and Bobby, Triple X, State of the Union, Serenity, The Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift, Star Trek, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, The Expendables, Parenthood, The Lincoln Lawyer, Fast Five, Captain America, The First Avenger, X-Men First Class, Prime Suspect, Gangster Squad, Iron Man 3, True Blood, The Mentalist, Banshee, Transformers Age of Extinction, American Horror Story, Chips, and Bird Box. Justin has also been the stunt coordinator on a variety of TV shows, including Aquarius, Do No Harm, The Leftovers, Ozark, Castle Rock, Dirty John, 13 Reasons Why, Watchmen, Stumptown, Servant, whew, Mayor of Easttown, The Morning Show, and my new favorite TV show, Miss Marvel. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great so, to dude, be here. When I read all those out to you, does it seem like it's somebody else's life or, or do you remember all those bumps and bruises from all those different projects? I don't think I remember all of them. I think, <laughs> I, I think what it does is it puts a time frame on your life. <laughs> That's yeah. what, I, oh, God. what I think it does. You're like, oh, I had my first kid on this show. You yeah. know what I mean? And I had my, you know. So yeah, they all kind of blend together. Film and television kind of does that. It's like, oh yeah, that's when I was shooting such and such. Exactly. I think it, I remember it, major moments from my life more on what I was shooting than what the actual major moment was. Oh, my nephew absolutely. was born when I was doing this. That's, that's well, absolutely. We talked about it. It's like, 
oh, during Friday Night Lights, I got married and had two kids. They're huge things. It puts a time frame, not so much on the movie, but you're like, oh, yeah, I was doing this movie when this happened. You're like, oh, that was 2002. So let me ask you a question. I know you were an All-American football player at University of Massachusetts. Is this how you became a stuntman? Is this how you broke into doing stunt work or what? Yeah, this is. Actually, football is how I broke into the stunt world. I was a football player at the University of Massachusetts, you know, like a lot of kids after that had a slight look at playing at the next level and it didn't work out. So I'm from New Jersey and I was training at a facility where it was like training high school athletes and college athletes and pro athletes. And one day a guy walks in and goes, Hey, I just worked on a football movie. And we're like, Oh, okay. You know, I'm from New Jersey. So it's like, we don't care about your movie. He says they're doing this movie, the replacements in Baltimore, Maryland, and they're looking for people to do the plays on the field. And I was like, oh, it'd just be so great to put a football uniform on again and hit somebody. Yeah. Like, just yeah. like kind of get it out of my system. <laughs> I go down there and I make the movie, meet a bunch of guys. One of my friends had done a few football movies and he's like, I'm moving to LA to be a stunt guy. And I was like, okay. In the process of that movie, I happened to meet uh, Chad Stahelski, who was Keanu Reeves' stunt double at the time, mm-hmm. but you'll know him now as like the director of the John Wick movies. I finished the movie, went home, and I was like, man, that was pretty awesome. I don't really want to get a real job. So I yeah. uh, ended up moving to LA and that was kind of how I went down the stunt path. So I wanted to ask you, how would you define the role of a stunt coordinator or a second unit director? Basically, when you see action on screen, whether you see a car chase or a fight or someone on fire, what we do is we kind of come up and design what that's going to be off the script, hire the people and logistically put all the things in place. As a second unit director, it follows into that particular kind of stuff, except just like a first unit director would shoot the dialogue and certain things. We then go and direct the action, the car chase, the fight. They do kind of blend together a little bit. And it's really funny because from my experience, and I don't do a ton of stunts, but like I did the movie 42, primarily most of my stuff was with a second unit director. Very rarely did I actually even have any scenes with the actual director unless we were, of course, recording dialogue. But I mean, 90% of my work in that film was playing a baseball player and we were just out there doing baseball stuff every day. I mean, there's a lot of artistic control that a second unit director has. It's not just shooting establishing shots that I think people have a tendency to think. Yeah, it is. You know, as a second unit director, there's two things that happen. Obviously, you have, I want to say the dangers, but the action aspect of it, right? And as mm-hmm. you've been out there, but that takes time. Like it's, it gets serious when you've got cars going everywhere. But also, a second unit director, you never get the time that a first unit director would get. Yeah, they say here is 100 things you need to shoot in the next two days and Mm. go. But that's, you know, I think that's what makes it kind of fun and interesting. Uh, As stunt coordinator, too, isn't it incumbent upon you to pull in like your team or your stunt guys? I guess you can relate to football and that's kind of how I approach it always. It's like, that's your team, right? Right? The people that you bring in are your team. You're only as good as your team. It doesn't matter how talented you think you are as a stunt coordinator or what type of genius you are. Unless you have the people that go out there and perform, like those are the people that put your vision on screen. Specialty-wise, how soon did you get a script in your hand until when we were filming? Like, how much time would you have? Like, like we're doing cash at the rodeo right now, so I know yeah. the rodeo stunts. Yeah, it depends what particular show. For example, when I was doing The Watchmen, I would probably get a script a lot earlier than say if I was doing the show Stumptown. Stumptown, I'm getting the script just like when everyone else gets it. 
Yeah. Watchmen's a little bit different because yeah, it's not heavy. It's more specific. And depending on who you're dealing with, they want your opinion on, Hey, we wrote this. Does it work? Or did we do this a different way? Right. Can you shoot like five previs for us before we go into a world? Yeah, exactly. And then just to does it make sense with the story they're trying to tell? And should we change it now and not have to worry about it later? I mean, I was going to bring this up later in the interview, but I did want to talk to you about Watchmen just because Mm -hmm. I love the show so much, specifically episode six. We can talk about Watchmen. (laughs) (laughs) Episode six, that fight scene in black and white, it's all, it it looks like a one or, I've gone through and watched it a couple of times and I can see personally where I think there may have been one or two cuts. Yeah. But man, that friggin' scene. Yeah. Unbelievable, dude. Oh, uh, and you. for our, our listeners out there, I mean, watch Watchmen just in general because it's it's so an amazing good. show. But if you don't have the time to go watch it, just look up this scene because what you guys did as a team and what you did as a coordinator is friggin' unbelievable, man. I appreciate it. That was something obviously you're proud of when we talk about getting scripts early. Like yeah. that particular episode, which was directed by Stephen Williams, which I just ended up doing another movie with him. And a lot of people know him. He directed Lost forever and Mm -hmm. he's been around for a while. And he came up with this idea, like, I want to shoot this whole show as long takes and oneers and all those things. And And for um, for our audience out there, a oneer is a shot where there are no cuts, basically, or at least we don't perceive there to be any mm -hmm. cuts. So it all looks like it's shot on one camera. That particular fight, one, it comes down to the team of people you had, like we talked about, like, I had really great people. There's very rarely you can say, oh, I'm going to put five stunt guys in one fight. And two of them are cast, but they're all stunt guys. Like that just changes what you can do because that's their specialty. That's what they do. (laughs) Speaking of actors who can't maybe drive a car or something, I don't know anyone in particular that that would be referring to. I just remember on Friday, well, maybe you should tell this story because I know my version of the story. Well, well, I I was going to, this is one of the things I did hear on one of the earlier podcasts and your version was pretty accurate. Yeah. (laughs) But again, (laughs) some actors are great at stunts. I think I'm decent at stunts. I'm just maybe not the greatest driver. Well, yeah. Well, the funny thing is this about that whole story. So you have a driving scene, you're reading the playbook or some notes, or you're going to an interview or something. Yeah, my character's going to an interview with coach and he's nervous. So he's looking over his notes that he's going to say to coach. And then, yeah, he kind of gets distracted on the drive in. And yeah, the rest is kind of history. Kyle Chandler was directing that episode. Yes. And we had this little crazy minivan that like they chopped the back off. It was like a camera car. And so I come to you and I go, hey, listen, you got this little driving scene. Now, at this point, I think in the show, I believe like you had a motorcycle. Taylor had a motorcycle. Yes, in real life. Right? Yes, both of in us. Real li- in real life, yeah. you guys were riding motorcycles. So I'm like, well, if he can ride a motorcycle, he can definitely drive a car. <laughs> <laughs> so I come up to you a, a day or so early. I'm like, hey, Derek, this is what you got to do. You're just looking at the thing. You only have to let the car drift off over the line and just kind of correct it back. You're like, you know, I've crashed like five cars. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty funny. Let's be some mess around. <laughs> so we go out there and we're, we're getting ready to shoot. And I'm like, all right, so this is what you got to do. You just got to kind of cross the line, yeah, double yellow mm-hmm. line and just correct back. You're like, you know, I've crashed like five cars. And I'm like, it's not messing with me. You know what I mean? I just think it's fully a joke. <laughs> and so I just remember I'm sitting in the back of the little van and we're doing the scene. And all of a sudden I see overcorrect into the ditch. Kyle's like, what is he doing? I'm like, I have. No idea. It was pretty amazing. 
can't remember if we kept it or not. Yeah, I don't know if we kept it, but I vividly can remember the front right tire of the wheel in a ditch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And like almost hit like a sign on the side yeah. of the road. And I just I, remember Reamer getting out going, what are you doing? Oh I overcorrected and then anxiety. I kind of lost control. Such anxiety from this. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, knowing I know that like we're so far away from you. I mean, in the big scheme of yes. things, it probably should have put a stud double in there anyway. But I was like, this can't be that hard. <laughs> you would but, think. No yeah. one was injured. It was all good. No, no one was injured. Yeah. Just the car. Hey, how did you even come to Friday Night Lights? I came to Friday Night Lights from essentially doing the movie. And when it was time to do the pilot, there was another guy I worked with, Alan Graff, that was there. And I kind of came along as that because from doing the movie and what Pete wanted out of the show, he wanted to make the football not a priority, but he wanted to make it look right. So they were going to put some time into making it right. And so that's kind of how I... uh, how I came to Friday Night Lights. Yeah, a couple of people went from movie yeah. to TV show. And then yeah. did you know Sam or did you go out and search for like football players? Well, every time we do like one of those football movies, we do it kind of like you would do, I guess, uh, let's say a lower level combine. Like we advertise in the newspaper and on the radio. And it's amazing. You get like a thousand people that come through and we do an interview process and then we cut it down to be like, okay, well, you definitely aren't what we need. And then we'll go the next couple of days and do like standard stuff, like run 40s and do bag drills and all those things and kind of weed it down to the 30 or 40 people we need. But on that show, we did have, because we based the movie out of Austin and we had a bunch of guys. So a big handful of those people were with me on the movie which yeah. by the time we were done, they were probably like 30, you know, yeah. the TV yeah. show, you know. Stacy and I have actually talked about this on the show numerous times because number one, I've always said that if you took the actual Dylan Panther football team, yeah. all these guys that you guys found, all these mm-hmm. actual football players, that team would mop the floor with any high school football team that's probably ever Can played you imagine? high school football. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were so many Division One scholarship people. Like, obviously, we were in Austin, so the University of Texas was there. I can't tell you how many ex-Texas UT players we had. We had people that played at Tennessee. We had people that played at Hawaii, like and, Texas yeah. Tech. And like, I think at one point, not the last long, we had some guy that was like up for the high school. Yeah. So like everyone on that field was an X division one college football player. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, a good high school football program, a state championship winning high school football program yeah. may have like 10 dudes go play D1. Right. Right. And that's like the best of the best, like a national yeah. championship caliber a high school football team. There were guys sitting on the pine that were D1 yeah. players. I mean, you think about it. How many guys on that team played in like major bowl games? Yeah. yeah. Right. They were a bunch of talented guys that just didn't make it to the next level. They were looking for something to do. It was so fun that you sort of think at that point, like that part of my life is over. And then all of a sudden they get to put pads back on. And like you said, go hit some people. Like that's yeah. awesome. And that's what it is. And I mean, that's what led me into his career. It was just that opportunity yeah. to go run around and play football again. Yeah. Yeah. And for, I think for so fun. many of those guys, it was cathartic. I became really good friends with Eric yeah. Smart, who played yep. the stunt double. And, and I think for Smart, it was one of these things. He's a great athlete, played ball mm-hmm. at, at Texas Tech. And then after that was over with, I think for a lot of them, and I, I mean, I know for me, yeah. even when I was yeah. in high school and football was over for me, it was like, now what? You know, it yeah. was such a part of my life. And I mean, even more so for these guys who played at the D1 level, right. had potential to potentially yeah. go pro. I think this was a nice little soft landing for them to figure out what the next path in life was going to be. Yeah, absolutely. It was a nice transition 
for them, yeah. right? It was a nice transition to be like, I kind of have a job, it's fun, but it's not taking up my whole entire life. And now I can start to figure out what I want to do after I'm done. But as we had said, I mean, Stacy and I have also talked about this, that like a lot of those guys were older. I mean, 25 yeah. to 30. And yeah. very yeah. big. And yeah. And so one of the jokes, or not jokes, but it was actually a real deal thing was like, do not take your helmets off. Yeah, yeah, that was always it. The funny thing is like, I had probably 20 people, 20 guys that like Mm -hmm. were with me from the movie all the way through the TV series. So like, we're talking like eight years of basically doing that. But it was always funny because at that point it was like, we had our little collection of like B team players. They used to call them the kids on the sideline. So like whenever we do a huddle scene, we'd just be like, take those guys out and, and you know, put the young looking kids in. Meanwhile, the baby faces taking, in. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're taking out the 28 year olds and putting in the, the 19 year olds. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you, what was the craziest stunt you personally ever had to perform as a stunt performer? I think I was talking about this with some people last night. Actually, I did at one point I did, I don't know if it's the world's longest stairfall, but it may be. I did a hundred stair stairfall. Shut up. Yeah. What what was this for? It was for Scary Movie 2. I was pretty young and it, it never made the movie because it was too violent. You know, I never got to see it on screen. I had like behind the scenes video of it. Keenan Ivory Wayne's directed it, but I think from what I've heard, like over the years, like he like literally plays it at his house during parties just because it's so ridiculous. I've done it by done. I mean, I've had a stunt double do a uh, 15. Yeah. That's a hundred. You know how you keep going after a hundred. Yeah. You have to go as fast as you can go. You know, right? it was like, it's one of those things where you show up and there's two people there to double the same person. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this isn't good because they don't expect one of us to make us to make it. I remember on the pilot of Friday Night Lights, at one point they were doing the scene where Riggins is doing Bull in the Ring and he's just yeah. getting laid out. And at one point, I can't remember who the first AD on the pilot was, but the first AD was Pete. You may need to take it easy on him. We only have two more left. He goes, on the movie, we had three. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. We only have two doubles and they were like, yeah. oh, we can kill the first two. You know, right, exactly. Sure the third guy's still around. What was the craziest stunt you ever had to coordinate on Friday Night Lights? I mean, the stunts of Friday Night Lights were not very crazy. I would have to think back, but nothing really comes to mind. Oh, probably the craziest thing that I had to do, or the most ridiculous thing that I'd do, is the first day I ever was like the stunt coordinator on Friday Night Lights was yeah. the night you and Kitch were stealing the copper wire. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, the fight with the Joey and the gun and everything. That was a good I, tussle. Yeah, I think it was like you guys had a U-Haul and you were yeah. stealing like the copper wire and we were ripping down the fence and yes, yeah. yes, yes. dogs were chasing you. And yes. So in typical, as you we would know, Friday Night Lights style, they don't tell me like I have to do that until like three o'clock in the afternoon and then shooting at like six. So that was like my first real like, oh, I have to actually make sure these guys don't kill themselves, which I think I do remember you jumped in the van and hit your head on the thing and almost knocked Did, yourself out. Yeah, but it was fine. It yeah. was fine. Just we talked about that tight. scene the other day because on paper, that scene kind of read like comedic. You right. know what I mean? It was a little bit more Keystone Cops-esque. And then yeah. when we actually watched it, they had this real like, you know, dark, heavy music underneath it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Reamer must think I'm the most uncoordinated person on the planet. Then. He does. He does. <laughs> <laughs> We've had like, don't put Derek yeah. in any more stunts. Exactly. <laughs> Double um, all the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> what is the craziest stunt you've ever had to coordinate on a show? We did this scene and it's super quick. Actually, buddy, Brad Leland was in the scene. 
uh-huh. and the leftovers. I think Brad's in the scene. He's playing a guy from Texas, surprisingly. Pete's <laughs> directing, you yeah. know, and he's driving, talking to this guy. I think Chris Zilka was his name. Yeah. And he has a flashback of him in college. And we had like, I had two people like go like 60 or 65 feet off a building into imploding cars all in one. Wow. That was, uh, that was pretty good. But then, you know, we always do the standard car crashes and like people on fire and things like that. You know, yeah. so. you know standard, just like lighting people on fire and crashing cars, you know, like Tuesday. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. There's something really fun, though, about watching some of the stuff that you've coordinated over the years, Mayor of Easttown recently. Mm-hmm. What I've noticed, and this is just me observing yeah. you as an artist, is that you've added like an element of surprise in things. There's moments we don't see coming as an audience. And I think that that's a testament to your ability as a stunt coordinator. Some of it's scripted, obviously, but right, a lot of sure. it is the way that it's shot. A lot of it is the way that it's just, it's wow, it's a surprise. Yeah. Something happens and you are completely and totally caught off guard by that moment. Yeah. There's there's no lead up to it. There's no music that's anticipating right. that moment. It just, it's shocking. And there've been a couple of those moments and some of the things that I've watched that you've coordinated. Do you have a method or, or, or a way? Of, I don't even know what my question is necessarily. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I know what you're saying. I think, and I'll take this all the way back and kind of tie it into Friday Night Lights because it's the truth. Like authenticity of what we did there was important, right? Everything we did, needed to feel natural from yeah. the point of not hitting a mark or doing whatever we did. And I think just learning how to make things natural. Like I'm a big fan of not ever someone being like, Oh, that's a stunt. Yes. Right. That is something to me. Like I'd rather tell like the appropriate story than do a stunt that is like, Oh, I'm going to put this on my reel. It's all about developing the story and moving the story along. Sometimes you just do less. Right. Sometimes they write a big thing and you do less because it I think makes that sense. Was the thing that I loved about the scene in Watchmen, because it was so guttural and visceral and real. Mm. And I wrestled in high school. And so you, you see these moments where these guys are fighting each other and it's an organic fight scene. I can imagine yeah. that you guys probably got in there and said, OK, if one person did this, how would you react to it? As yeah. opposed to a lot of fight scenes where it's like two guys standing so five feet away from each other, just choreographed. Yeah. yeah. This right. was what happens if you get in close and one guy's grappling with another person sure. and then the person gets, there's nobody standing on the outside of the fight waiting to join it. It's four or five people coming into the fight at all times. Yeah. And how a person would react to it. Who knew how to fight? In the beginning of that episode, there is a hooded justice guy and there's a fight in there that's very cartoonish. So it was very important to go like 180 opposite of that still keep the brutality to it but like make it raw make it visceral again because that's what they wanted that character to be right yeah i think it's like don't lose sight of what story and the character is and then make what you're doing work for that i think that's what works so well with Friday Night Lights. As I said, having played football in high school, there's been a lot of football movies that have come and gone over the years. There were very few, if any, that I saw that I was like, oh, that reminds me of what actually playing football felt. Mm -hmm. Friday Night Lights was one of the first ones. It was naturalistic. It was real. It it didn't have these real fancy shots where they would turn off all the lights in the stadium and be just this isolated guys talking to each other on the field in the middle of a play. Like That never felt real to me. So watching Friday Night Lights for the first time, I was like, that's what it felt like. That's Mm -hmm. I remember that. And I know that there's that cliche and every football movie has had it. And I'm sure you had directors on Friday Night Lights wanting to get the flip into the end zone. Yeah. It happens. I mean, 
there's always going to be the windmill shot, a guy catching a ball on a right. run and getting hit in the legs and doing the windmill. It happens yeah. occasionally in football, but you would think it happens on every play in every movie that you've ever seen. And that was one of the things about Friday Night Lights that I thought you guys did such a, a wonderful job on is it felt real. It felt- well, yeah, because you don't even think about it when you're watching it. No. If you're not thinking about it, then I have kind of a macabre question for you. Yeah, sure. I was a dancer and I know like mm-hmm. essentially the life of a dancer, especially a ballerina is like 25 years and then you can't right. really dance anymore. Yeah. And I, I'm friends with a bunch of stunt guys in LA yeah. and I know most of them will move on to like doing choreography or coordinating. What yeah. would you give the like lifespan of somebody actually doing the stunts? Let's just say by the time you're in your mid forties, Unless you're a specialty guy where you can drive the wheels off a car or mm-hmm. or you're a rigger or something like that. At a certain point, all those jobs that you got as like SWAT guy number three, like they don't want like 48-year-old SWAT guy number three. I'd say by the time you're in your mid 40s, you're probably not doing the big stunts that you used to do. Yeah, not, the hard you know. the, the stuff on your knees, man, it's the yeah. knees. <laughs> yeah, you know, Ugh. so it's kind of like, I guess, a professional athlete to a certain degree. Definitely a, a limited time where you can be that guy unless you're the Tom Brady. Those are the guys that can drive cars and, and do all those type of things. I'm sure your wife is happy you're not doing as much <laughs> performing <laughs> these days. She never cared about the performing aspect. I think the one thing I'll say is like as a performer and as you know, as an actor, like, oh, I work on Tuesday and then like next Friday, right? And you're just like, okay, well, I have time. Who wants to catch up on Thursday and Friday, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, now that I'm coordinating, it's like, it's a full time. time. It's like having a full time job and you're all over the place. I mean, I'm going on like month number five of being away from home on separate shows. So that's the hard part. So let me ask you, and this will be our final question, I think. On almost every week of FNL, there was a football game or the minimum, there was a football practice, not to mention the occasional murder ball episode or volleyball or powder Mm -hmm. puff, as I mentioned before, car accidents that weren't intended to be car accidents, (laughs) uh, fights. How did you coordinate all that? And how can you take us through the process from the time you get the script to the time we shoot the actual episode? And what is a night of filming? Because I, I know we shot most of our football scenes, especially the games at night. Yeah. What happened in season one, they were very, oh, we have to run this play and we have to do this. And once we kind of got through to the point, so I changed the ending of the season one football game with Jeffrey Reiner and neglected to tell anyone that we changed it, which was until Jason Kidham showed up and realized that the reactions weren't matching what we were actually doing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like a uh, win or a loss change or i got the script and it said like as you know full drama there's three seconds left and they get yes, down yes. and smash is knocked out of bounds at the one yard line but oh wait there's a flag we're gonna bring yeah. it back and we're gonna do this and i was like i don't get this like yeah. you know it just is not jiving for me jeffrey runner is directing so i'm like jeffrey i don't get this he's like yeah well, i don't get it let's do this i'm like let's do this it's like okay well he neglects to tell jason we're shooting it out at the cowboys stadium the old one where as we know and i'm sure you described we shot all the actor stuff first mm-hmm. and everyone's down there because it's the first season i think pete berg's down there jason's yeah. down there and at a certain point jason realizes hey this isn't matching what we wrote and so i'm just not paying attention. I think Jeffrey's told him this is what we're going to do. And I always remember Jeffrey and Jason Cams are standing on the star at Dallas Cowboys Stadium. And Jeffrey turns to me and goes, Justin, get over here. Um, I come going over. I'm like, I'm fully fired. Like, this is my one oh, opportunity God. and I'm fully fired. 
Yeah. And Jeffrey turns and he goes, tell him why you changed the end of the game and walks away. Oh, and I'm no. like, ah. oh, no. And so I made my pitch to Jason and obviously Jason being one of the nicest guys in the world. was like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. So yeah. after that, it was like, kind of like we were going to win by six or we were yes. going to win by three. And it was like, okay, just make sure whatever play that you want to run, it tells a story. Yeah. Smash does this or Riggins does that. It became kind of a machine in terms of what we did. We figured out how to like, okay, like we could do eight plays in a night. And that would tell the whole story that we needed to tell versus trying to shoot 15. So I would just go through the script and, you know, kind of come up with plays that made sense for the story we were trying to tell. Yes. Smash games 12, but he gains 12 on a great run, something mm-hmm. like that. And then or we would go ahead. It was a great block and, from Riggins or something. That, that yeah, it was a great, yeah, or a great block from Riggins. And I would draw them all out on my computer and we would hand them out to whoever was involved, the directors. I think we'd get Kyle upset and go from there. And then we would rehearse the day before. And then on the night of shooting, again, I've had those guys for so long. A lot of those guys are so long. It was so shorthand. It was like, yeah. that didn't work. You block him, you go here, you do that. And it would be done. And we brought in NFL Films camera guys. When they know where the play is going, they're probably not going to miss it because they have all those beautiful shots when they don't know where the play is going. Yeah. yeah. So it just became such a machine. We would get going and we'd go, we'd shoot all you guys out. Essentially, most of the time, we'd flip the cameras around and point, point the other direction towards the other sideline. We'd take half the people in the stands, put them in whatever color we were playing, and yeah. we figured out how to do it. You know, it was like if there was a two-minute thing going on, we'd run a two-minute drill. We'd put two minutes on the clock, and we would run whatever plays we designed in those two minutes. I remember like the first season, a lot of times you guys would wrap probably around 5.30, 6 o'clock yeah. in the morning, right as the sun was coming up. So we would right. start shooting right as the sun was setting, and we would wrap mm-hmm. around 6 a.m. I wouldn't. Stacey yeah. and I would be long yeah. gone. We'd be at a bar at that point. Well, you guys were working hard on a Friday night. But then I remember, you know, I'd talk to Eric Smart and I'd be like, what time do you guys get done on Friday? He's like, we've done it like 2.30. And I'm like, yeah, you're kidding me. There was a certain style that Pete had set up. Like mm-hmm. when you talked about it being real, like how do you watch football on TV, right? You don't watch football from on the field, yeah, right? You, you watch it. Player perspective. Right. You know, you watch it from like you would normally see on a TV show. Obviously, being young, I was the only person who knew how to shoot football. Like, you know, exactly knew how to do it, but I was young. So they were constantly trying to figure it out as it went on. And I think I started directing it like in the fourth season or something like that. At that point, I had known for like seven years exactly how you do it and how I wanted to do it. And it just became faster and faster. Yeah. And it was always fascinating to watch the way you guys did it. I mean, there were times where you'd have the cameras set up and there'd be different actors or not actors, but like background actors just running in front of camera, like circling the camera. Yeah. And when you would watch it on TV, it didn't look like people circling a camera. It just looked like a body swipe past camera yeah. real quickly. And because they're close to the frame, it gives it a speed to it. Yeah. it. Just And as I said, as a person who played football, I was like, that felt real. That felt yeah. real. That's what it looks like. It feels like it's chaos when you're on the yeah, field. Yeah, chaotic yeah. is what I was going to say. From the minute the ball is snapped, you've got your assignment, but then it's chaos. Right. You got guys, you know, I played corner. You got a guy coming yeah. out, through, you know, on a pulling block. Yeah. And 
he's looking to run you over and you've got things going on in your periphery and all this yeah. different stuff. It's just a testament to the work that you guys did on the show, both as stunt performers and as a coordinator. Because it felt uh, real. Yeah, and making well, it look the way it does. It's well, part of what you. I loved about this podcast is a like watching the show for the first time, but mm-hmm. also these things that I never in a million years would have thought about how much work you specifically had to put into every script, like before yeah. I even had a script in my hand. There's people doing so many good things you guys made it look like that that was all you well i appreciate it and you know obviously testament to the guys that came out and had to bang heads every night but i think when you look at it that the most proud thing or the thing that you can be like oh yeah we did this right was like we discovered a way to most efficiently shoot the best product in the football games in like the shortest time you could ever do it yeah. <laughs> I've said before that we shot an average episode in like eight days, which is yeah. just insane when you yeah. think about it. And I mean, there were episodes where there was 20 minutes of football. Yeah. You're basically 20 minutes of choreographed stunt work. It's yeah. fascinating and, and amazing what you guys did. But brother, I don't yeah. want to take up any more of your time. Oh, I appreciate having me on and, you know, keep up the good work because it's awesome. I hope you have something to you sooner than later. I'm sure I will. That is it for season three, episode six. But join us next time for season three, episode seven, entitled Keeping Up Appearances. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.